So uh, we want to continue this morning in our study through the book of Mark. Who enjoys this? It's a powerful gospel, isn't it? But we say this about every single book we're studying, isn't that right? How powerful is the Word of God? It is so powerful, and today we're going to continue looking verse by verse, and we just take the next few verses from verse 14, and we're going to work up to verse 20. But let me ask the question this morning. What is, why is Mark writing this down? What is the, the purpose of the Gospel of Mark? Anybody who's been here a few times? What is the reason? What is Mark trying to tell us? First of all, who Jesus is. Never forget this. He's telling us who Jesus is. And secondly, why he came. Why did Jesus come to this earth? And those are the two questions that Mark answers out of the gospel. Who is Jesus and why did he come? Now I first want to read to you before we go to uh, the study on the PowerPoint. Out of Philippians, remember a few weeks ago I said that Jesus came to serve us. That's what Mark is telling us. He's our servant. Now when you think about servant, it's not somebody who cleans your house. It's way more than that. He came to serve us in a spiritual capacity. You know what? He took on the form of a bond servant. Listen to this. As it's written down in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What mind? Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. It wouldn't have been considered robbery for Jesus Christ to claim on the earth that he's equal with God, because he is God, and he was God before he came to the earth. He still is God. From the beginning he was God, and he still is God. Now this he says, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but, sharp contrast, but, made himself of no reputation. Now, Paul says, let this mind be in you and in me. What mind? Making ourselves of no reputation. What is mankind doing today? Building himself a reputation. I'm building myself a reputation. Here he comes and he says, of no reputation, not of man's reputation. Then he goes on to say, taking the form of a bond servant. Now, the word bond servant is two words being put together. It means servant which comes and works for a wage, or back in their day, actually they were captured and worked oh, for a wage, but they belonged to the master. But a bond servant is somebody who comes freely and works for the master. This is what he says. He took on the form of a bond servant. He wasn't forced to do what he did. He came on his own free will. And this is how we ought to come to him on your own free will. Nobody had to force you to come to church this morning. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Hopefully you're not sitting here because your wife said you've got to be here. Or your husband. Or the pastor. I know so many people and preachers who will preach to you and they will lay blame upon you, make you feel guilty if you're not here. That's not this preacher. 
You come here because you want to be here, because you want to serve God, and you want to fellowship with His saints. Is that why you came? That's why I came. Nobody's forcing me to preach to you. I don't get a salary from this church. I don't get a salary from anybody to be here. I'm not forced by any person, but I'm compounded by the love of Christ to preach the gospel to you. That's what Paul did. Now listen to this. He says, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. There you find the reason for the Gospel of John. Who Jesus is and why He came. Why did He come? He came to die for your sin and for my sin. The ultimate sacrifice of a servant, of a bond servant, freely He came. Now who is Jesus? If somebody comes to you and they ask you, who is Jesus? He is the Son of God. This is what Mark wrote to us a few weeks ago, remember? When John the Baptist was there in the Betabara at, at, at the Jordan, he was baptizing, and who came walking through the crowd? Jesus, and what did he say? Behold the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. So he tells us he's the Lamb of God. Who is this Jesus? He's the Lamb of God. He's the sacrifice of God. For who? For you and for me. Secondly, when he went into the water and he was baptized, what happened? A voice came from heaven. What did he say? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So that means that Jesus Christ is who? The son of God. The son of God. Now, in, there's no other religion out there who can make this claim. None. Nobody. Nobody can. Some religions say he's a prophet. He's not a prophet. He's the son of God. You know what the Son of God means? He comes from the throne room of God and He reaches out to man. He came, I just read it to you, and He lived amongst us. He came to touch you, to die for you, to serve for you. Not only is He that, because He lived on this earth, what does He call Himself? The Son of? The Son of Man. So who is this Jesus? The Son of Man. What does that mean? Job said, is there then anybody on the earth who can reach out to God for me? Was there? No. He had to come. He had to live amongst us. He had to live like we live. He had to be tempted like we've lived last week, just like we were tempted. And then he had to die and go back to the Father so that he could be the Son of Man, reaching from us and touching God. This is why in Hebrews chapter 4 he says he's our high priest. Isn't it wonderful? Within what I just said to you is the whole gospel. It is so easy to understand. But people want to make it difficult. Now, remember what we saw last week. <coughs> Brother T touched on it. 1 John chapter 2 verse 15. When uh, John writes to us, he says, Do not love the world and the things of the world. And oh man, isn't that what is happening today? People love the world and the things of the world. What is there not to love, they say? It is so glitterly, it is so, you know, it's in your eyes, it's so nice to look at. This was the problem from the Garden of Eden. This is the attack of Satan, Lucifer. The first thing that Eve saw that he was good for the eyes. And this he says, he says, 
the lust of the flesh. We saw that he touches physical food, our fulfillment, our bodies. We want to feel fulfilled. That's what mankind wants to feel. And this is where he touches it. He says, do not love these things, the things that we feel. What happens if you eat a meal? Who had breakfast this morning? Only a few. Are you already starting to feeling peckish? That's what happens. The body works it through. And you can never satisfy this body because we have to have lunch. Isn't that right? I'm going to have curry this afternoon. Yeah, butter chicken curry, okay? But <laughs> let not your mind go. <laughs> but what happens after that? I'm going to eat. And then what happens tonight? You're feeling peckish again, isn't it, Will? You cannot fulfill the body. You have to continually put stuff into the body for fulfillment. How wonderful is it, dear friends, that in the spirit, in our soul, when we come to Christ, He is our fulfillment. I don't have to see the things I see, I used to see. If I look at Christ, all the things of the earth become strangely dim. The things I used to do, I do them no more. And this is the problem. The second one was the lust of the eyes. You remember that? That's visual satisfaction. The delight. Oh, we love to see beautiful glittering things, don't we? We love to see them. We love to have that delight in your lives. This is what Nike says. Just do it. If it feels good, do it. But there's a problem in that. And then we saw the third problem there is the pride of life, the discovery and the advancement. And we saw how Jesus how he said every single time to Satan, it is written. Your help and my help to get through all of these temptations and the attack from Satan is what? Is what? Is the word of God. The word of God. If God lays this word in your heart, this is what, what uh, uh, what's his name? David says. David says, fill me with the word so that I may not sin against you. That's my paraphrase of it, Okay. You go and search the verse. Once you have the Word of God, brother and sister, you study the Word of God, the Holy Spirit comes in you and it makes it alive. And when you come to these three temptations, what happens? What happens? The Word of God comes back. He says, it's written, thou shalt not do it. When he tried to cluster your mind and make it so dim and so blurry visioned in your mind, if you go, I don't know whether it's right or wrong, the Holy Spirit will come to you and it will pull up a word of God in your mind. But I will not preach that sermon over now. Let's continue this morning as we look at Mark chapter 1 verse 14. He says in 1 verse 14, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. How wonderful is the word of God? Repent and believe in the gospel. We see a wonderful thing here which he shows us. After John, Jesus came. John was only, John the Baptist we're talking about here, he was only the prophetic voice in the wilderness of Judea. He was preceding the Christ. He was preceding the message of repentance. After John, Jesus comes. Jesus was the anointed servant of God. And he came into Galilee preaching and bringing alive the good news 
of the kingdom of God. And you know what I see in this? Every man who preaches the word of God, whether it's you sharing the gospel to somebody, needs to point to Christ, not to yourself. I'm not preaching in front of you to be a great preacher. I'm not standing here preaching you to build a church of a great preacher. If I do that, that's in error. And every man upon the face of the earth who uses Christ as a product is doing an error. All John did was doing what? He was pointing to Christ. This is why I love these words. After John, Jesus came. You see, the focus here is not on John. The focus is on Jesus. My work as a preacher here is to point you to Christ. That's all. If I, if I at all try to take any of the glory of Christ, I'm in error. And you know what you should do? You should run for the door. Honestly. You need to test the Spirit. And here is the big thing, and I just want to mention it to you. you know, we see so many times that God uses men, great men of the past, and He blesses them with a ministry. And then that person passes on. You know, he worked well in God's acre. He works well. And, and then years comes around because we all are men. We're all going to die one day. And these people pass on. And then you get other people stepping into that ministry and trying to keep that ministry alive. I don't necessarily believe in that. You know what I believe in? God has given every single person in this place a calling to do what? To go out and make disciples. If this is a great ministry, you didn't come in here to support the ministry. Who, who did you come to support? Jesus Christ. This is what I find out of this. He says, after John was put into prison, Jesus Christ came. Now let's focus on these words for a minute or two. I love it. You remember last week we took the word out. This is my beloved son. Look at these words here. There's so much meaning in the scriptures. And this is there to build your faith. He says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And this is what we find. He says the time is fulfilled. That means that the good news. What is the good news? Who can tell me? It is the, the gospel. The gospel is the good news. He says the time is fulfilled and this time is that the good news is timely. I mean, you talked this morning about time. We get in the car and we say we want to get there in 20 minutes. It takes 40 minutes. What did you lose? Time. And what do you get upset about? Time. You wanted to get there earlier. But you see, we are so focused, and that's why I really enjoyed the table this morning. We are so focused on the things around us that's going to waste our time that we don't spend time on thinking about the things that will last forever, for eternity. He says there, the time is fulfilled. What time? What time is he talking about? The time that the good news of Jesus Christ is here. There's two words that you can use for time. There's the word in Greek, chronos, which means it's a chronological order. It means it starts from one, then the next thing happens, then the next thing happens, and the other one. And then there's the word kairos, which means a strategic opportunity. Which word do you think he used here? 
he used the word kairos. He said, you know, the gospel is not something that happened in Jesus' day. It's not something that came in the past. The gospel is still there for you and for me. The time is still there. The strategic opportunity for you and for me is there today for the gospel of God. And that's why we need to make that decision, my brother. Today is the day the Bible says. Not yesterday, not two weeks ago, today. Not tomorrow, I'll wait until tomorrow. I first want to live my life. I first want to do this one thing. I first want to build my reputation. But the Bible says that he was without any reputation, yet we want to build our reputation and then come to Christ. This is why I love the word, the time is fulfilled. This is what Christ said. The time is fulfilled for what? For the gospel. It is a strategic opportunity that he gave us. And let me tell you, that opportunity is still there for us. It's still there today. I don't know whether it could be there for tomorrow for you. You know when that opportunity passes for you? When you blow out your last breath. That's when that opportunity passes. Oh, there's some people who say that you can still come to Christ after you die. No. No, that opportunity, that time of fulfillment is gone when you pass on from this life into the other. This is why now, while it's time, you say you, you're beating on that one verse. Read it for us. Okay, I'll do that for you. I'll go to uh, Isaiah chapter 1. Listen what the Word of God says. If Jesus Christ, if, if, if Mark writes down here that the time is fulfilled and it points towards the gospel, then surely we need to understand what the Bible says in Isaiah about it. Isaiah chapter 1. And I'm reading for you. He says in verse 18, 17. I'm going to read from verse 16. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. You see, there's a serious thing that happens here now. The prophet speaks to the nation. He says, you are dirty. You stand before God. Your thoughts, your mind is dirty. What your eyes see is dirty. Your lifestyle is dirty. Your conduct is dirty. And now the prophet turns to them. He says, clean that. I'm reading again. Wash yourself. Make yourself clean. Put away the evil from doing from before your eyes. Cease to do evil. Now he says, learn to do good. What does the word learn mean? It is a process. Yes? Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. And now, listen to this now. Listen, he says the time is fulfilled. And I'm telling you, he uses the word kairos there, which means it's a strategic opportunity. Listen to how the prophet puts it. He says in uh, Isaiah chapter 118, Come now. What does that mean? Does it mean come tomorrow? What does the word now mean? Well, it means now. <laughs> it could be now when you hear my voice. Isn't it right, Philip? He says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins were like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be white as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, 
you shall be devoured by the sword. So what did Jesus Christ preach to these people? He come to them, he's been baptized, he's been tempted and everything. And now he comes to them and he says the time is fulfilled. It's a strategic opportunity and the kingdom of God is at hand. The good news is available. It's right there for you and for me. And then he uses this word which so many people don't like. What is the word? Repent. Repent. That's what, the, that's what the prophet said, what I read out of Isaiah for you. Isn't it right? He says repent. Repent means I change my mind about the things I do. That's what it means. And believe the gospel. It means, if he says repent, it means it needs to be a decisive decision. And then when he says believe the gospel, he says the good news is assuring isn't that right? Who loves the Word of God? Already we've learned so much, haven't we? It's there to change your life, but you have to come and make a decisive decision. Things I used to do, he says, wash yourself. Clean yourself. Do these things. Time is one of the most valuable commodities that you and I have. Not money, time. You take one of the richest men, richest men. He can buy islands to live on. He can buy big aeroplanes. He can walk in and flash the cash out just like this. Give him an uncurable disease and give him a week to live. Can he buy his life back? The only thing he's got is one week of time. That's all he's got. How many of you are sitting here and thinking back about your young life and you think, if, I've, if I could only have that time over again? It is time. And you know, the wonderful thing is, is that if we come to Him and we give Him our lives, He gives us eternal time, eternal life. And it's so important. So... Um, so let's continue on. He says now in verse 16, I love this part. I'm just going to bring one point to your attention and then we'll pray and we'll have some food afterwards. He says in verse 16, And as they walked the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. They immediately, you see, there is our man Mark again with his words. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further from there, he saw James and the son of Zedebedee and, his, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat. And what did they do? They were mending their nets. And he immediately, there's that word again, called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. You see, the thing is, people think, when they read this, that these men were just sitting there and waiting for Jesus to come around and call them. This stranger, out of nowhere. This is what people think when they think about this. But it's not so. You see, because Mark is a man of action, he just writes as the action points down, there's a lot of other stories that need to be filled into this. This is not the first time 
that John and James and Andrew and these men saw Jesus. They already knew Jesus. I mean, Andrew, for instance, heard when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. He heard that. He saw Jesus already in the crowds. But he went back to his business, as we do, isn't it? I mean, tomorrow I'm going to go back to my workplace. You're going to go back into your busy life schedule. But today we hear about Jesus. He saw Jesus. But he can't just follow Jesus. He got a job to do. So he went back to his business. I mean, in 1 John chapter 40, we find your example here. He says, one of the two who heard John speak, this is John the Baptist, followed him was Andrew. There is Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. I want to make a point to you here. These men, although they were fishermen, were Jewish fishermen. They grew up in Jewish homes. At a young age, they were taught the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They already knew about Jesus. They already knew as their parents spoke about the coming Messiah. They would have heard some of the rabbis when they go to the synagogues talk about the coming Messiah. They were looking out for the Messiah. There was a hunger in their hearts to find the Messiah. My question to you is, how did you come to Him? And do you still have that hunger in your heart to see the Messiah? This is these men. They were not the chosen ones. When they reached the age of 12 years old, in the Jewish tradition you become a man. These men didn't go in to become Pharisees and scribes, but they were taught a trade to go and do some work. So these men went out and became fishermen. They caught fish for a, for a living, for a life. But still, Although they were sidetracked in the, in the occupation, in the vocation, still within their hearts, there was this desire to see the Messiah, this Jesus that was going to come. When you read through the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and you hear about Moses the prophet, and they say that there's going to be another prophet coming after him, bigger than him. When they read through all of the, 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 the prophets, and they talk about the one to come. How excited do you think was Andrew when he heard John the Baptist say, Behold the Lamb of God. But you see, we only read these verses and we say, Whoa, there sits these men and Jesus comes past this total stranger and he goes, Follow me! And they go, Whoo, I've got a new job. He's going to look after me. He's going to give me food. He's, he's my income producer now. That's what a lot of people do these days. You see, for some people, Jesus Christ is only a product. For these men, He wasn't a product. No, for these men, He was life's essence for their, for their souls. And when He walked there, Simon and Peter, they were casting their nets. And when he turned to them, they knew it was Jesus. And when he said, follow me, man, I, I can just imagine the excitement in their hearts that the Master is calling me. Another interesting fact about this is, when you go back into Jewish tradition, it's interesting that this works the other way around. Normally, you will have some of these students finding a rabbi that they like, and they would follow the rabbi. But Jesus turns it around, and he comes and he calls his disciples. He, he, they didn't choose him. 
He chose them. How excited does it make you when you hear when I say that? Brother and sister, let me tell you something this morning. You're not sitting here because you chose Him. You're sitting here because He chose you. You only responded on the action of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit started pulling you. You keep on going back to that church. You don't know what it is, but you, you keep on going back. Something inside of you might feel good when you go in amongst those people. And, and maybe like a 10-year-old told me one day, he says, Pastor, when you preach the Word of God, there's such a greatness and a good feeling in my heart when I hear the Word of God. What is that? Is it my voice? No, look, listen to it. It can break up in anything. It is the Spirit of God, hallelujah, who works in the hearts of men. Whom he choose. Be privileged this morning when you sit here this morning that he chose you. My, my question to you is how are you using the time that he's giving you after he's chosen you or you're just waddling it away? Is it making sense this morning? I find it fascinating that these men were sitting there and when he called them, immediately, I, I read of other passages as, as we go through the book of John. He asks somebody, he says, follow me. He says, oh, no, no, I'm first going to go and bury my father. Oh, no, no, I first want to go and say bye to my people at home. What did these men do? They dropped everything and they followed him. Immediately, they went after him. This is so wonderful. And I love it. Because it gives us a, a direction to go to. You see, here is one thing. You won't follow somebody in something who you don't know. Is that right? If you're on a rainy night, on a Friday night, and it's raining, it's around about uh, 10.30 at night, it's dark. You just go to McDonald's, and as you drive out of McDonald's, somebody stops in front of you and says, Hey, follow me. I want to go and show you something. The guy looks a little bit shady. Are you going to follow him? No, you don't know him. You only follow somebody who you know. I say that for purpose this morning. My question to you this morning is, do you know him? You can only follow somebody fully when you know him. If you don't know him, learn to know him so that you can follow him. These men knew him already. But they didn't know him. Listen now carefully. They didn't know him intimately. He's now going to teach them intimately the ways to live this life. But so many people are afraid to do that. Oh, you want to tell me that I've got to give up a stuff in my life to do this? Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. You, want to, you know, this little habit that I've got, you, you want to tell me I've got to give that up? What did these men do? Immediately. They left their nets and they went. I better hurry on because I want to show you something here this morning. So there's two ministries here that I saw, that I see in the scripture. And, and this is not a new doctrine, okay? I'm not trying to read stuff into the text here. But, you know, this won't hurt you when you see it like this. First, of, first thing that I see was that Simon and Andrew was doing what? They were casting their nets. And then he walked further and he saw James and John and what were they doing? Mending their nets. It's the same time of the day. Why were these men not fishing while those men were fishing? It was the same time of the day. It wasn't a different time. 
And now I want to talk to you about this. You see, you get a, car, a ministry of casting and mending. The ministry of casting and mending. He saw these ones, and if you look at these men and you follow them through the Bible, you'll see that they, Simon Peter became such a man, you know, he went out and he preached to what? To the Gentiles. And he preached to the Jews. He was casting his net. Jesus says, I'll make you fisher of men. But here I see these two things. Let me show you the ministry of casting and mending. First of all, the ministry of casting their nets. There's two words that you find for preaching. A little bit more, but the most that you find in the New Testament in Greek is the word kairos and egializo. Our English word there is to speak out loud, which I do here on Sundays, which I can't fully do today. Kairos means to you've got a message that you want to give to people, and they were not megaphones in those days, and you stand up and you speak as loud as you can. You kairos. That's one way of preaching. And we see some people do it, street preachers do it, they go out and they kairos. That is it. Jesus did that as well. I'm not saying he did street preaching, but he went into the synagogues and all of that. The second word there is the word for evangelizing. Evangelizing is the same thing, it's the same concept. You go out with a message and you speak to the people. Both those words is the words for preaching. We read in Mark chapter 1 verse 4, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching. He was kairuing. What did he preach? He was baptism of repentance for remission of sin. You see, he was standing at that point in time in the ministry of casting. He was casting out the word of God. And what did he try to catch? Fish. People. Come and listen. What did he preach to them? Repentance. That's the ministry of casting. Mark 1.14. Now we see that Jesus. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee. What did he do? Preaching. He was casting the net out. The gospel of the kingdom of God. Acts chapter, and, and look, I've got so many verses, but I carry down for sake of time. Acts chapter 8 verse 25. You can go and do it as homework this afternoon. Go and find all the words in preaching here. He says, so when they had testified and preached, that's another word they use. It's the word laleo, which means the same thing. They preached the word of the Lord. They returned to Jerusalem preaching, evangelizing Jerusalem uh, in the gospel in many villages and amongst the Sumerians. You see, that's the ministry of casting the nets. You say, what's that got to do with me, preacher? Because you also have that ministry. You see, this is a ministry sometimes in churches for some people who go out and preach, and you, you have to tell them about the gospel you say, but I'm not a preacher. I can't stand there like you and preach to people. You don't have to. You don't have to. But you can talk to one person, can't you? You don't have to kairos. You don't have to stand there and preach to everybody. But you can evangelize. What is evangelize? You've got a message. And you give that message of good hope to somebody else. What did Jesus do? He did it one-on-one. -on -one. You can tell somebody, one person... That person that you work with, that person who you can see who needs somebody in life, you can tell them and ask them, do you know Jesus? What you need is Jesus. That is the ministry of casting. But then you find the ministry of mending. And I like this. The word that's used here is the word didasco. Didasco for teaching. 
And we find the same thing. The problem is you find so many times churches is just out there preaching. Just preaching. But I always ask the question, now that somebody responds on the message of preaching, who is going to teach them? Because it doesn't just stay with teaching. There's got to be teaching, as preaching, it's got to be teaching as well. Mark chapter 4, verse 2. Then he taught. He uses the word didasco. Then many things by parables. This is Jesus. And said to them, he's teaching. So you preach the gospel. People respond to the gospel. Now you need to teach them. This is what we try to do at this church. If you know somebody who don't know Christ, invite them here. I'm going to preach to them the gospel. But we're not going to just leave them there. We're now going to teach them. We're going to show them the way of Christ. Matthew chapter 4, 23, And Jesus went out all Galilee teaching. He didn't just preach, he taught. He does go in the synagogues and preaching. You see, he did both. So this means that one man can stand in both ministries. You can kairos, but after you've kairos, you need to teach the people the gospel of the kingdom. And he healed many people. Acts chapter 15, verse 35, Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Can you see how these ministries come together? You get people who go out, you get people who come in and they teach. Acts 5 verse 42, And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. There's the two ministries there. Um, look at uh, verse 19. He says, And when he had gone a little bit further from there, he saw James and the son of Zebedee mending their nets. The word for this phrase here in Greek is the word katartismos. I know I'm going really deep into the Greek, but hang in there. Is this interesting? He uses the word kartitismos. Uh, let me say it right. Kartartismos. That means equipping. Now Paul goes the same thing. He goes in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, <coughs> some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. For to do what? To equip the saints. He uses the same word there, kartastismos, for the work of the ministry, edifying the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of stature in the fullness of Christ. You say, but preacher, why do you preach on about this thing about preaching and teaching and all of these things? Because there's two things here. One, there's a responsibility upon the preacher to teach the Word of God. And number two, there's a responsibility upon the hearer to accept the Word of God and to grow in the Word of God. To do what? To come to the fullness, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. If you come here every Sunday and you just receive this as your teaching, you are so poor. You need to go, because this is not the only teacher you've got. You've got the Word of God. You've got to study the Word so that that can enlighten you. Let's finish this morning. In verse 18, he says, they immediately left their nets and followed him. In verse 20, he says, and immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him.
I want to ask you this morning, when He calls you, when He calls you, are you going after Him? You say, yeah, I've done that, um, Pastor Tatinkwa, you know, maybe 18 years ago, I went after Him. Now my question to you is, where are you today? Are you still going after Him? Are you still following Him? Oh, yeah, you know, around about the 10th year, I think I know everything. I let him go on a little bit further and I said, Jesus, I'll do my own thing here. This is what people do. They left everything and went after him. And the call for you this morning is the same thing. You say, but I'm not called. Who say that I'm called? What's the story about being called, uh, preacher? Let me read to you. Let me remind you out of John, out of Romans chapter 8. And uh, verse 28. Let me just read this for you and then we'll pray. Verse 27, uh, Romans 8, 27. Now he who searches the hearts know what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Think about that. He makes intercession for the saints according to to the will of God. What is the will of God? What is the will of God? The will of God is that all should be saved. That is the will of God. That's everyone in this room. He's making intercession for the will of God upon everybody. Now he says further on, and we know that all things work together for those who love God to those who are called according to His purpose. So you're called according to His purpose. First of all, He says He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now He says you are called according to His purpose. So are you called or not? Yes, I'm called, but for what? For the purpose of God. Well, what is the purpose of God? I'll leave that over to you and God to work out in your life. I'm not going to stand here and play prophet over your life. Now he says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. Brother and sister, my question to you this morning is, he came to these disciples, he called them, immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Who are you following this morning? Who are you following? Are you following yourself? Many people do. Oh man, they've got plans for every single thing. You've just got to listen to them. They've got a plan for every single thing in their lives. He's planned out stipulated and planned out. The problem comes when there comes a roadblock (laughs) and throw their plans a little bit away. What happens? That's when they start screaming out and go, I need help here. I need this and I need that and I need this. The reason why there's so many I's is there is because they've been following themselves for so long. So that's why I is I in I. Make sense of that. Who are you following? Are you following somebody else, a man? The Bible says, do not trust in princes or chariots. Why are you following God? 
His call upon you this morning is the same that he called the disciples. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your loving kindness, which is better uh, every day, Lord. It's better than life. Father, we thank you this morning as we learn how these men were called by Jesus.